The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh and Jack Spruce. Jack, how are you today? <laughs> I'm good, Brian. We're in the same office today, so it's, a, it's always a bit weird when you're. It's very phone. strange that we've not done this. That you're not in another another building somewhere. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I've got my two-hour gym session tonight, which I always look forward to. Now it's a wee bit daunting when I first started doing this a few weeks ago, but it's actually it's quite good having that focus for the end of the day. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I am. Um... Yeah, it's a busy month, but, but it's good. It is good. Okay, so it's International Women's Day on March 8th. We'll be speaking to women in property management. Today, um, we have the pleasure of talking to Jacqueline Borthwick, Finance Programs Director at James Gibb Residential Factors. Jacqueline is a member of the PMAS board and is a chartered management accountant. She studied architecture at the University of Strathclyde, and she has worked in the industry for 14 years. Jacqueline, how are you doing today? I am good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Thanks very much for joining us. So tell us, how did you get into property management? Uh, well, if I am honest, that was a collusion between my husband and David Reed. Okay. My husband was keen for me to get back to work after my maternity leave with my firstborn. And David was looking for a credit control manager at the time. So unbeknown to me, a meeting was scheduled. And before I knew it, I had a new job. Oh, wow. Okay, so you didn't even know you were getting into it, no? <laughs> Not really. It wasn't. Oh, a, I wouldn't say it was a formal interview uh, process. What did you do prior to property management, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, so, or prior to your maternity leave? Prior to maternity leave, um, I worked for Procter & Gamble, um, right. literally in Newcastle. Right. Okay. Cool, cool. So, um, and I know this because we work on them together, but you're a bit of an expert in acquisitions now. Do you have any words of wisdom to share? Uh, yeah, well, I'm not sure that I would uh, call myself an expert, but thank you. Um, however, throughout my time in the industry, I've always wanted to, to be a fly in the wall of another property management company, to okay. see how they do things, how they did things different to us, how they did things better than us. Um, so I suppose in a way acquisitions gives me that insight into other companies. Um, and you realise that as much as we all work in the same industry, and essentially deliver the same service we all do things very differently and i find that quite interesting um i love to look at how a process has been managed and delivered and make it more efficient um mm -hmm. so i suppose my words of wisdom would be to have an open mind going in uh, be diligent be prepared to understand another way of doing something um, and take any positives back with you um, oh, and be prepared for something completely out of left field because there's always something that throws you or that you weren't expecting to have to deal with yeah, yeah. I used to work, I, I used to do the ops end of acquisitions um, in, in a previous life when I worked for a software company that acquired a lot of other software companies. And the one thing I remember from it was that 
there was always a number of surprises. Yeah. So I think you can do due diligence until um, um, you're blue in the face, but you know, at the end of the day, there's always going to be something that comes out of left field, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Good, good. Um, I was going to ask you if there's any more acquisitions on the um, horizon. But <laughs> that anyway, I'm, so. I'm not privy to disclose that information <laughs> at this point in time. <laughs> right. So I, I think you've probably, or I've got another question about kind of property management and the kind of, I guess, the link from architecture, but, but I think you've already answered this. So I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing property management was not a deliberate choice. But uh, no. <laughs> but you studied architecture. So was that, I don't know, was there any link there at all? or um, No, if I'm honest, I would say absolutely not. Right. Um, when I graduated from university, I was probably somewhat disillusioned with the world of architecture. Um, and I actually became a florist for a period of time. Okay, um, right. I was starting out at the very beginning with uh, pretty much no idea of what I was doing, but figured how difficult can it be to arrange some flowers? So I picked up the trade, um, I earned a floristry qualification, um, and even though the pay was rubbish and the shop was so cold in the winter that you got chillblains on your hands, um, I absolutely loved it. So, um, you know, that that was what I did after university. I didn't really have any long-term goals or, or thoughts, um, and certainly not in the property management sector at that time. Then my personal circumstances changed and I actually went to work for Procter & Gamble. Um, so my first role was in the finance department of their Irish man manufacturing plant. Um, and then I moved to the Tesco customer business development team in Surrey as a finance analyst. And finally, I was responsible for running the general ledger for the Nordic regions, um, which was based in Newcastle at the time. So during that time, I obtained my SEMA qualification um, and I suppose I've just stuck with finance ever since. Um, but I would say that working in property management gives me a bit more variety than, than just the core finance. Um, mm -hmm. And I do enjoy the operational side of things as much as um, the counting the beans side of things. Right, okay, cool, cool. Wow, you've done a huge amount of different things in your career. I have. Um, That's why so they call me Jack, Jack of all trades. <laughs> okay okay um, yeah i have to call you jacqueline because i'm just gonna get confused, um with jacks on the call as well um so what's been the most challenging aspect of your time in property management industry then oh well there's been a lot of challenges um but there's probably two two things quite different things that kind of stick in my mind um one would be the obvious one which is the acquisition of life property management by james gibb um, during that acquisition process, um, which I was obviously involved in from the financial diligence side, um, there were certain events that took place that really impacted that, that process, um, both personal and business. So that added a lot of additional challenges to the whole process. Then following that acquisition, bringing the two cultures together, two sets of uh, kind of process and procedure, um, bringing them together that was always going to be a challenge you know however that alignment in the values of both companies allowed us to to bring those two organizations um together and, and build a bigger and stronger organization however one of my my early um challenging moments um in property management is probably going back about 12 years when myself and a colleague went to an EGM for a new development there was issues with the developer who had left site uh, and we were faced with a being mob of about 60 owners in a relatively small village hall. 
Um, that night, I stood there with my metaphorical bat and batted back what I felt like was a thousand balls uh, with different issues that they were chucking at us. Um, and I came away somewhat mentally bruised and battered um, from that EGM. Probably one of the toughest EGMs I have ever attended. Um, however, we turned them around, uh, we addressed their issues, we helped them understand what our role was and what we could do for them. And to this day, we still, still manage that development with very few issues. Wow. Okay, that must have been difficult. It was at the time when you were relatively new to to these kind of situations. It was it was a it was character building. Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the um, one of the things that has been a, a kind of common theme when we've interviewed on the podcast people who got who are in the industry, you know, so um, is that. You know, you cannot please all of the people all of the time. If you stick a hundred people in a room that um, that are in a hundred different flats, you're gonna have some unhappy people. And, and you know, but maybe maybe they don't have reason to be unhappy. But you know, it's very very difficult to kind of keep them keep everyone happy at the one time. Yeah, I mean, everyone has different levels of expectations. Um, and you know, we, we've had the issues in the past of of the guy who's challenged the the grounds maintenance contractor because the length of the grass after they had cut it was not the recommended length that grass should be after you cut it you know and these types of things are hugely challenging um also the the covid situation and obviously people working from home we had um a scenario where a, an owner was unhappy again with the grounds maintenance contractor because they were using their leaf blower and she was trying to work um, you know, in in her property um, during during lockdown, um, and she was basically complaining about the the grounds maintenance contractor using his leaf blower. And you know, these things are are so challenging to deal with because everyone's out there trying to do the job in the best um, to the best of their ability in very difficult circumstances. So you do get some kind of both challenging and bizarre um, kind of issues that that face you across your time. Sounds like you're almost like a, a bit of a counsellor as well. As yes. <laughs> therapist and counsellor. It, it is a wee bit. You need to be there yeah. to, to listen to their woes, to listen to their life story. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, no, that's 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 very interesting. Yeah, it's like a common theme along across a lot of these podcasts. Um, so has there been a project that's interested you most? Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose that that pre and post LPM and James Gibb migration periods um, has been interesting, uh, to say the least. Um, we really took the opportunity to look at how either company operated um, and established the best ways of working going forward. Um, you know, and again, it was taking the best practice from, from either company. As part of the learnings with bringing both companies together, we, we also restructured um, and that saw the financial support provided to our operations team grow. Um, and this has really step changed our business um, and we believe we're in a great position now going forward to deliver the, the kind of exceptionally high level of customer service that we want to grow, uh, to deliver to our, to our ever growing client base. Right. OK. OK. Um, so. Moving away from that and talking about PMAS, so you're on the PMAS board. What's your involvement there? Are there any and are, are there any big projects on the horizon? Um, yep, I've I've been on council for five years now. I think it is. Um, and during that time, PMAS has really kind of transformed itself um, and really really developed and grown. 
Um, in recent times, there's obviously been the involvement in the cladding crisis, which is ongoing, um, with David Reid sitting in the Ministerial Working Group. We've also got the representation for our members on things like the Code of Conduct Review um, and other legislative matters. And we have also just had our first kind of joint IRPM PMES online seminar, um, which was carried out. And that was really successful with a, a huge turnout and a high level of engagement from, from everyone. Um, and that is hopefully the first of many collaborative ventures um, with IRPM and PMES going forward. Yeah, I actually I, I sat in on that webinar and it was it was it was really, really interesting actually and, and it was fabulously hosted as well. It was good. It was. Uh, I mean the whole thing um flowed really well and the webinars are always a bit of a challenge because you can't you don't have the feedback from the audience. You mm -hmm. don't know whether they're engaged or whether they're falling asleep. Um, you know, so I think that is always a challenge, but but certainly the, the feedback that came out of off the back of it has been really, really positive, um, you know, and that's kind of testament to to those that organised it and particularly to those who presented it and, and Nick Mail who hosted it on the day. Yeah, no, it was very good. It was very good. Wow. So <clears throat> that that's my questions. We rattled through them pretty quickly. Um, so um, Jax um, has her three quirky questions um, to ask. So over to you, Jax. Yes, Jacqueline, this is the, the fun part of yeah, all our guests, the same three questions at the end. So I've suddenly got a lot more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing to be nervous about. What's your biggest failure across your entire career and what did you learn from it? Oh, well, if I if I stick to my property management career, um, which obviously kind of fills the, the largest part of my life to date, um, I can remember one failure early on which I, I carry with me to this day. Um, and that was in the early days of being a credit control manager for life property management. Um, there was one particular client who managed to get under my skin and rile me. Um, I allowed my frustration to show at the time and I ended up losing the battle that day. Um, it was a, a big, big learning for me early on. Um, I probably hadn't had to deal with a lot of conflicts up until I started my role um, as a credit control manager. And with that role, conflict can sometimes come with the territory due to the nature of what you're what you're dealing with. Um, but I took a huge amount away from that situation that day, and it allowed me to find a way to to almost like separate work from personal. Um, I allowed my my personal feelings to get in the way that day, and it achieved absolutely nothing. Um, but now, um, you know, after all these years, I have much broader shoulders. I have much thicker skin. Um, and I can deal with these situations without them impacting me personally. Yeah. Um, that's something that I try and kind of pass on to to new people that were, were onboarding into the company. Because this job can be really tough at times um, and you can be faced with a lot of conflict and tension and, and difficult circumstances. One day you might be faced with like an angry client or a rude client or a really emotional client um, and all need to be dealt with individually. Um, but if you can deal with those situations without letting them impact you personally, you will achieve so much more. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems to be something that's came up quite a few times actually across the all the, the guests that we've had on. The, the most recent one, Grace, um, whose podcast came out at the end of at the start of February. Um, she's um, the MD of in corporate massage, and she was telling a similar story when she was younger and. She was angry at someone, uh, frustrated at someone who had turned up late 
um, and it was her manager um, said to her, you don't know what's happened to that woman before she came in here and and you've you've been you know a bit touchy with her so and, and Grace said ever since she's always gone out there into the world with a, a bit more empathy and a, and a bit more sort of um, thought around um, you know how other people might be feeling and that actually it's not it's not something to take personally so that's interesting that you've gave that that yeah. example as well. Yeah, it's a bit like um, Brian can maybe um, kind of relate to this one, but you know th those people who who suffer from road rage, um, you know, I always I always think, why why are you suffering from road rage? Just sit and wait for the traffic to move, or you know, let that person cut you up or do whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's good lesson. lesson. Yeah, absolutely cool. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> So, Jacqueline, if you were the world for a day, what would you do? What would I do? Well, um, to be honest, I would have the whole world tap dancing. Oh, <laughs> are you a tap dancer? Uh, I, I have been known to don a pair of tap shoes in my time. Oh. Um, at some point, I maybe need to accept that I'm too old for such an activity. Um, Not at all. But, yes, I, um, COVID's maybe been a, a good excuse to give up that hobby. No, not at all. So <laughs> I dare say I might go back to it at some point. Is that something you've done all your life, or? Yes, I think from the age of um, about three. Um, oh, cool. With oh. A, a few breaks, and now now categorise myself as an adult tap dancer, which is I'm sure something I always swore that I would never be. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not pre COVID not used to put on a show every year or not? Yes, thank you, Brian. You shouldn't know these that kind of information. I just recall, <laughs> I recall someone telling me that one. Yes. Is it not a very handsome man that's a tap dancer who's on the TV and used to go on the performances? Adam Garcia, is it? Adam Garcia? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm quite at his standard, but. <laughs> yeah, you, you, when you look like him, then, you know, you, it's, it's fine. <laughs> <way it's> <laughs> okay, should we move swiftly on yes. from that? <laughs> um, so, my final question, Jacqueline, is when you're 70 and you look back at your life, um, what will you be glad you did or what will you feel proud of? Either something you've already done or something that you want to do in the future? Um, so I don't tend to look back, to be honest. Um, but I suppose if there's one thing that I hope to achieve and to be able to be proud of, it will be that I've created a springboard for my children in their future. Mm -hmm. um, I think young people today... Um, kind of unbeknown to them are becoming more and more reliant on their parents setting them up for life mm -hmm. and not that I still want to be doing their laundry when they're 40 um, but I do want to be able to open up opportunities for them um, and give them kind of kind of every chance to succeed in whatever they choose to to do in life and and this comment is probably teeing Brian up beautifully but if I can make it to retirement age without disgracing myself on a work night out, then that will probably be an achievement. <laughs> <as> well. Excellent. <laughs> well done, Paul. That's great. Thank you. I don't think I've ever disgraced myself on a work night out. I can recall anyway. Nobody told me. It's just that you can't remember. Yeah, possibly not. Possibly not. Um, although, to be fair, it'd be nice to have a work night out. We were going to have one. That is true. We were going to have one in December. Um, uh, but we it was that weekend that you know everyone started deciding yes no yes no um so i think we're going to end up doing it in march now sometime so because we've I, I, and we've not got a huge team either but we've, we've struggled to get a, 
everyone together on a Friday night. So, uh, so yeah, it's going to be in March time, I would have thought. Yeah, well, we, we do also have our James Gibb uh, Christmas night out uh, booked. It has been rearranged for March as well. So we have wow. that to look forward to. And fingers crossed that will go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because I think everybody needs a good night out. They do, they do, they do. Although um, March is also the month when the PMAS um, annual dinner is on, isn't it? Yes. Yes, and uh, I am kind of helping in terms of the, the arrangements with that and things um, through PMES Council. And it is full, full steam ahead with that. So, um, yeah, we're we're hoping to have a good turnout that night um, and make that a success. And obviously, the this year um, sees the introduction of the PMES Excellence Awards. Yeah. Um, so that will form a big part of the night as well, um, which will hopefully be a success. Good, good. I, to be fair, you know, we, 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 CPL has taken lead sponsorship on that, and, and we are um, we are massively looking forward to it, actually. It's really good. And massively, Crawford is talking at it. He's giving the opening speech. Um, uh, I was hoping you would be taking on that. Yeah, I, that's not really my bag. <laughs> Crawford, we, you know, we, we had votes and everyone voted for Crawford to do it, so which is, which is good. Um, He'll so, look yeah, good so, in his tux. Sorry? He'll look good in his tux, no doubt. Yes, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming on, Jacqueline. That's been really fabulous. And and we normally um, allow people to kind of, if anyone wants to get in touch with you and speak to you about anything that you've discussed, um, how could they get in touch with you? You're on LinkedIn, right? I am on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Um, yeah, so if anyone is keen to put on a pair of tap shoes, then feel free to contact me. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks very much, Jacqueline. Okay, thank you. Thanks. <laughs>